The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. It is a great joy on this July morning to welcome you to Marsh Chapel. Whether you are here in person, listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR, or over internet signals at WBUR.org, or listening later to the podcast at bu.edu slash chapel. It is a special joy to greet you this morning as we continue our annual Summer Preacher Series, and so too to welcome to the pulpit once again this morning the Reverend D. Hamilton Wade, pastor of Anchorage Presbyterian Church in Anchorage, Kentucky. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his greetings as he is away in these summer months, and we look forward to his return in August. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully grant us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather in this Gothic nave in awe and reverence, we come seeking to know God, that in the light of one who knows us most deeply, we might come to know ourselves. That is to say, we come seeking our vocation, that which we are called to be and do in the world. We would catch a glimpse of a vision of that way of being to which we are invited out of an infinity of paths and possibilities. But how can we see? How can we know if our vision is clouded and we deceive ourselves? As we pray in silence during the singing of the Kyrie, let us confess our wrongdoings and missteps and offer them to God, in whose light we may see light.
And so we remember that if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will, con- con- will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Dee Wade, and it has been a delight uh, to be with you, worshiping in this awesome space, worshiping, uh, joining our hearts and hands and minds together to worship uh, the Lord our God. Boston University is a great university, and the city of Boston herself is a great city. My wife and I have enjoyed being here this past week, and we have our enjoyment has been increased by your gracious hospitality. Thank you. We joined the early church as it is adjusting to the mission it was given by the risen Jesus. The apostles are to spread the gospel, being Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. After Pentecost, the apostles have initial success in Jerusalem, but soon opposition mounts, culminating in the martyrdom of Stephen. The apostles then flee Jerusalem and proclaim the gospel in Judea and Samaria. Philip is in charge of the Samaritan mission, which is the first attempt to bring the message of the resurrection of Jesus to a non-traditionally Jewish audience. But at the urging of an angel of the Lord, Philip leaves the Samaritan mission in the hands of Peter and John and heads in the opposite direction, toward Gaza, along the Mediterranean Sea. There Philip meets an Ethiopian court official riding in a chariot. Along for the ride, too, is the Spirit of God, whose influence is leading the infant church to take great risks in reaching out to some unlikely prospects for full membership in the called-out community of Jesus Christ. The story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8, starting at verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? The eunuch replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself 
or about someone else. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is it to pre prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us join in reading verses from Psalm 139 responsively with the antiphon. Searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. 
You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted in all my ways. Even before a word on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And now, beloved, rise as you are able in body, but certainly in spirit, for the singing of the Gloria Deo and the reading of our gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. Glory to you, O Lord. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. 
Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Fifty years ago finds me on just the inside of my ninth birthday sitting shotgun in my aunt's 1960 Buick LeSabre, a tank of a car, white exterior, red interior, huge fins in the rear floating above six round taillights. The Buick is a year, almost two, two years old, but it probably doesn't have 5,000 miles on it because we don't go anywhere. Our family owns and operates a small motel in a small town, which requires around-the-clock attention all year long. My aunt and I are leading a family from New York to a tourist home for the night's lodging. This family drives an expensive car, is very well-dressed and very well-spoken. They are also very African-American, and this happens in Kentucky, where the Jim Crow laws of segregation rule the day. Like every other business in that town, we reserve the right to refuse service to, well, you know who. Reaching the black section of town, my aunt, my aunt found the tourist home, knocks on the, finds the tourist home, knocks on the door, speaks to Mrs. Johnson, the proprietor, and holds the door open as the family carries their luggage inside. Without saying a word, my aunt teaches me that we are on a journey of injustice. I could read that in her worried and sad face. We were Christians for goodness sake, but she, along with my uncle and many others, felt powerless to change things all by themselves which is to say, while my family contained no civil rights heroes, there were few, if any, vil villains either. Our sin was more of acquiescence than of action. I serve as pastor of the Anchorage Presbyterian Church, established in 1799 on the outskirts of Louisville, Kentucky. From its beginning, that congregation faced some major challenges to prevailing wisdom and passed through some excruciating developments. 
One of the earliest of these, according to our records, was the introduction of a melodeon into worship. A melodeon is a household quality pump organ. Foot pedals work bellows which push air through metal reeds, giving the melodeon pitch and volume. The musical tradition for most Presbyterians at that time was voices singing psalms, not hymns, unaccompanied by any instrument at all. That practice went back to the 16th century to John Knox, Ulrich Zwingli, and to a lesser extent, John Calvin. Thus a scandal and a major one was created by the person or persons who brought this instrument into, the, into our sanctuary unbidden and unannounced. The session, the church's governing body, was infuriated at this breach of both authority and tradition. It ordered that the melodeon be removed forthwith. And lo and behold, the session was ignored completely. The melodeon remained in place Sunday after Sunday. The elders grumbled, but they apparently got used to it and accompanied music complete with harmonies, a choir, hymns, anthems, contemporary music, and even a few praise songs have been the tradition ever since. We laugh and we wonder how it could have been how could it have been controversial to have instrumental music and worship? And most of us, if not all of us, are perfectly pleased with this turn of events. But in those days, many people considered such a, a new way of doing music worldly and sacrilegious, and it split congregation after congregation in those years in that part of the world. But still, the risk taken to bring in that melodeon was nothing compared to the risk Philip took when he and the spirit climbed into that chariot and treated that Ethiopian eunuch as if he were a child of God. In the ancient Near East, it was not all that uncommon to have castrated males serve in special roles, such as service to a queen, especially when it involved both women and money. The idea was that sexually neutralized men would be less aggressive and more trustworthy. It works for horses, it must work for people. Now this man might have been neutered by an accident or when he was young he could have been castrated on purpose and sold into indentured servitude by his family. In either case, it was not a life that one would choose. Be that as it may, we read that he was on the return trip to the Ethiopian region, having worshiped in Jerusalem. In biblical times, the place named Ethiopia referred to all places in, in Africa outside of Egypt. It is possible that the man was Jewish, but not likely. It's more reasonable to assume that he was a Gentile. Maybe he was in process of conversion to Judaism. Maybe he was a God-fearer who worshiped the God of Israel and undertook many practices of, Jeru of Judaism, but for whatever reason, became only what we might call a friend of Judaism. So he's an insider in his own culture, but he's an outsider in the culture of Judaism. It's hard to say where the man belongs. And this is all pretty amazing. 
He's rich enough to ride in a chariot. He's educated enough to read the Greek of the Septuagint, devoted enough to travel all the way to Jerusalem for worship, and humble enough to admit that he did not understand what he was reading. He's also a man of gracious hospitality. When Philip asks if he can hitch a ride, the eunuch invites him, yeah, hop aboard. The welcoming inclusion in this story works both ways. The church I serve sits next door to the Bellwood Presbyterian Home for Children. It's one of the oldest church-sponsored children's homes in the country. Beginning with the years after the Civil War when orphans of veterans north and south filled its beds. In the mid-1960s, the Board of the Children's Home voted to integrate. And you would have thought that the whole wide world was going to collapse right then and there. Dissenting board members resigned and good Christian members of the church were in an uproar. It all seems so silly today that we fought over such things, but it was a serious business then. In that culture, angry words were spoken, families were torn apart, torn apart violence, bombings, and murder occurred much too frequently. As a Near Eastern native, Philip himself had dark, olive-toned features. The Ethiopian he approached had even darker skin since his genetic origins placed him closer to the equator. But the skin color was probably not as bothersome to Philip as was the fact that it marked the Ethiopian as a Gentile, as a foreigner, as the other, the great unwashed. And his being a eunuch marked him as being twice cursed, as a castrated male, the Bible, in a couple of places, forbids him to enter the temple. He can never be part of the inside circle of the faith he admires so much. And perhaps it is the eunuch's personal situation that draws him to Isaiah's passage about the suffering servant, the despised outcast. In turn, he is drawn to Jesus. When the eunuch story of humiliation is seen through the lens of the cross and the resulting death and resurrection of Jesus, it becomes, under the sway of the Spirit, a story of redemption and hope. In fact, nothing happens in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch that is not under the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit. Philip doesn't choose to walk the wilderness road in Gaza. The eunuch chose neither the accident of his birth nor his castration, nor Philip to come along as his interpreter. And the words of Isaiah lay flat and inert on the page until Philip, by that same Holy Spirit, is enabled to interpret the words of Isaiah. Words, you see, by themselves are just words. Even biblical words are confusing and unintelligible without the spirit to give them loft and meaning and energy. Spirit-infused, they just leap and dance and fly off the page into the rarefied air of new life and fresh purpose and connection to all that is real and loving and true. As the good book has it, the letter killeth, the spirit giveth life.
In the late 60s and early 70s, it was hard for the church I served to accept women as equal partners in the business of being the people of God in a particular place and time. People tended in those days to emphasize biblical texts that excluded women from leadership, 1 Timothy 2 and Ephesians 5. They also tended to underplay biblical passages that included the ministry of women, Galatians 3 and Luke 10 among them. I am told by an eyewitness that when our first female ruling elder served communion for the first time in our sanctuary, there were several people who walked out. They excluded themselves from the table fellowship of Jesus Christ because they were more threatened by the gender of the server than they were attracted to the promise of communion with God. Now, in the life of that church, women serve communion all the time and nobody gives it a second thought. In all these cases, certain readings of scripture can be used to justify positions and practices firmly held by well-meaning Christians. In all these cases, other readings of scripture point to more open, inviting attitudes. Sometimes we move toward the Ethiopian eunuch Sometimes we move in the opposite direction. But no matter how we move, the movement of God's living word flows toward acceptance for all because for all Christ died, Christ lived, Christ was resurrected into eternal life. In many, many ways, the human story is one of tragedy and sin. Part of that sad story stems from our tendency to, to divide ourselves up into imposing camps based on race or gender or political persuasion or economic status or educational achievement or religious affiliation or native tongue or sexual orientation or personality type or physical ability or country of origin or what have you. Such separation diminishes the whole as much as it diminishes the parts. And it tells an ugly lie about our faith in the one sovereign and universal Lord of light and love. We are one, not because we all look alike, talk alike, and act alike. We are very different. But we are reconciled with God and therefore one another. Where I come from, the bluegrass commonwealth of Kentucky. We often talk about bleeding blue, usually indicating one's loyalty to the sports teams of the, uni of the university that bears the state's name. And I understand that in this commonwealth, especially in Boston, there are some blue bloods too, though of a different order. But by the grace of the one God we worship and adore, we are all made, Bostonians and Kentuckians alike, of one blood. And yes, it is one red blood. Just as importantly, we were all Bostonians and Kentuckians and everyone else you can mention alike, redeemed into one human family through the faith of Jesus Christ. That's why every now and then our human story takes a turn toward the holy and the just. A few short weeks ago, the people of Anchorage Presbyterian Church baptized a little baby whose skin was as soft as velvet 
and as black as coal. I mean complete, unmitigated black. His father was one of the lost boys of Sudan, and his mother was not a lost girl exactly, but still a Sudanese refugee from oppressive violence. In biblical times, they would probably just be called Ethiopians. Well, that baptism, that inclusion into the full membership of the people of God was the most amazing sight I have ever beheld, and I had the best seat in the house. It would have sent some of our former church members spinning in their graves if they had not been reborn into, reborn into eternal life and eternal love themselves. And I'm here to tell you that that, that, that beautiful black baby was baptized and brought into the community of God's faithful people. When that happened, we were caught firmly yet tenderly into the Spirit's sway. We stood on ground that we had not occupied before. It was the kind of ground that makes you want to take your shoes off. If just for one glorious moment we breathed the air of grace, we saw with the eyes of the broken yet healed heart, and we were convinced that we were following smack dab in the middle of the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. There was water in the font, and nothing in heaven or on earth could have prevented us from baptizing that boy that day. Here with you in this neighborhood where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. studied and in this sanctuary where he worshiped the Lord his God, I am privileged to make this humble proclamation of hope. May such moments flourish in all of our communities of Christ's followers in all places where God's people gather and whenever the Spirit of God soars freely on eagles' wings, the wings of love, the love pure and sweet. Amen. Now to the one who by the power at work among, among us is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.
Please be seated. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray as you are so moved to best support the prayers of this community. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in place, respond in your first language, however you are so moved to pray this morning. I will set the intention, and then I will say, in your grace, and if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray together. You are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community. We who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals, and for the communities of which we are a part, for our particular ministries in the world, for our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life, for the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer with and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all, for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us and those who wish us harm, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. 
in your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations and joys of our human life with thanksgiving. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust, as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here at Marsh Chapel this morning, and we would invite you to find the red pad along the center aisle of each pew and put your name and contact information there so that we can get you to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We welcome once again this morning Reverend D. Hamilton Wade from Anchorage Presbyterian Church in Anchorage, Kentucky, bearing our message this morning. Thank you, D. We bear greetings also this morning as guest conductor, Mr. Patrick T. Waters, uh, one of our tenor choral scholars here at Marsh Chapel, and also as guest organist, Mr. Christian Lane, associate choir master and organist at Harvard University's Memorial Church. 
We would encourage you to keep an eye on the chapel website, bu.edu slash chapel, for upcoming services and activities, along with the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious God, your spirit moves us and moves among us. Bless these gifts and their givers. Let them be used for your work in this world. Through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. to the world in peace, live as free men and free women, have courage, hold on to what is good, return no one evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, and help the suffering, honor everyone, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the liberating power of the Holy Spirit. 
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's kindness and graciousness be radiant within you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.